Welcome to the Bible Rundown. It's 1 Kings chapter 6 and 7 of day 119 of the Bible Rundown. Pastor David here with Pastor Rob. It's an interesting text right here, David. You are reading this and you are about to fall asleep because you're reading all of the measurements of the temple and... In cubits, no doubt. It's, it's tough to read. Give us, shed some light on this so that when our readers read these things, they have some type of application to the Word of God. Yeah, no, 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 this would be good. I, I was writing down and converting all the measurements, right? And uh, we talked a little bit about it, but uh, it's, it's roughly 2,700 square feet. Uh, maybe for some people that's a little larger than their home. Maybe it's a little smaller than their home, yeah, depending on what it is. But sure. let's say twenty seven hundred square foot house. Rob, it's an you average step, household. Yeah, you step maybe, foot maybe into our worship center. Average. What do you think the size of our worship center is? Any guesses? I would say it's bigger than the twenty seven hundred feet, but I, I don't know that. Yeah, I mean Matt McConnell's not with us. If Matt was here, he could probably just quote the numbers off his head. But I found some old blueprints when the worship center was constructed. And I'm, I'm no professional architect, but basically our worship center here at Northwest, the interior is roughly 75 feet long, or wide, excuse me, 136 feet long. Which, Rob, that would put it over 10,000 square feet. Mm. So generally speaking, the worship center that you and I have the privilege of entering into on a weekly basis with our people to worship God is almost four and a half times the size of Solomon's temple where we see very clearly the presence of God is going to dwell and fill Mm. the place like he did the tabernacle. Any Mm. takeaways on, you know, we always think about improving our structures of worship, right? Or we see some churches that really focus on effects to draw attention to an experience of of worshiping God. But interesting that the first temple constructed is about the size of a above average, maybe American home. Yeah, it's, it's kind of humbling. Very humbling. And maybe a good reminder for us, God's not building physical structures. Right. I even think through like the parables we've been looking about, Jesus speaking, a mustard seed becoming the greatest of all the trees. Yeah. You know, from humble beginnings, it's pointing us, I think, forward to the gospel principle that the kingdom of God is not here in those things. It's it's in the lives of his people. So in the grand scheme of the scriptures, here's here's some things that we need to understand. It is the son of David whose kingdom will never end, will set up his temple. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even, even in Malachi 3, you have this understanding that suddenly he will come to his temple, the, mm-hmm. the promised one of God, the anointed one, from the stump of Jesse. And so this understanding of this, so Solomon's building of this physical temple in which the the spirit of the living God dwells, right? Yeah. Even even the the cherubim and the ark 
of the covenant that has the law inside of it, the, the two tablets from the stone tablets from the days of Moses. All of these have symbolism, right? Yeah. You have the old covenant in which God's presence dwelt among his people. He gives them the law. They, they've broken the covenant. And now the son of David, who is Christ, mm-hmm. the Messiah, the anointed one, comes suddenly into his temple, into the Lord's temple, but then he cre- recreates a new temple, which is a new people, which the temple of the Lord then becomes his church in which the spirit of the Lord now dwells in his people. So in the grand scheme of the Bible, this understanding of the temple and what God is doing here is actually Christ will actually do by sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in and among his people. And to that connection, right, of living things making up the new temple of God in Christ, look at uh, verse 18 of chapter 6. The description of materials that that Solomon uses, they're all living materials. It talks about that there were no stones used for the interior of the temple. And then all the things that are carved or the images we see go back to what we've been talking about, these Eden-like images, right? Mm -hmm. So I think further a reminder that what God is building is living and active. And that's reflected on the interior of the temple. That's good. Um, the other thing that, as we close out chapter 6, I thought was interesting, verses 12 and 13, um, God makes this conditional promise to Solomon that if the king will keep and walk in the words of the Lord, then he will not forsake his people and not, not leave them, right? Not abandon mm-hmm. them. Solomon's going to fail. In a couple of days, we're going to see the kingdom divided because Solomon did not cling to God. So you've been really echoing this theme. When we read the Old Testament, we think we see good godly examples for us to follow. But these kings, these earthly kings, all fall short and are pointing forward that we need a true heavenly king that can keep God's word so that we can be kept in in the hands of God. Look look at what it says at the end of chapter 6. It says, he was seven years in building it. Yeah, the beginning of chapter seven. I think the writer is, is kind of giving us a little joke here. But the in, beginning of chapter seven, Solomon was building his own house thirteen years, and he finished his entire house. Not only that, Solomon's house is bigger than our worship center at Northwest, right? Yeah, if it's eleven thousand. Eleven thousand square feet. Two two hundred fifty square feet. Yeah. The the guy's got a L.A. mansion on his hands. Um, He's got a lot of wives. And he has a lot of wives, which, yeah, we're definitely going to see that. Um, I don't know, Bro, but as we kind of are wrapping this up, like what's a scriptural response? One thing that I was thinking through is like, what are we building upon the foundation of our life that Christ has accomplished for us? You know, we're going to read in a couple of days about the widow's offering in Luke 21. And so when we see her offering... And the level that we are described by Jesus of sacrifice that she was giving in her gift, I think sometimes we need to back up and think, what are we building mm. in our life? A mm. name for ourselves. We've, we've wrestled with this idea recently on a midweek 
about what's the difference between contentment and complacency. Mm. Um, but I think when we look at these descriptions of the temple, it should remind us that God desires to build something on the foundation that Christ has laid in our life. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be necessarily by our own doing. We have effort that we contribute to it. But is our life bringing glory to God? And how can we claim that? What would you point to in your life to say that it's bringing God glory? Yeah. And I would just say, you know, the temple was never the intended purpose, right? The intended purpose was to place his spirit in man to reflect the image of God throughout the whole earth. Mm-hmm. But because of the this marring of sin of mankind, God's glory could not cover the face of the earth through mankind Thus he came down, he chose a city and a people to come and make his presence known among them. Mm-hmm. And out of that people would come the one who would be full of his presence, that, that he would dwell among man, God himself would dwell among man, so that mankind would be infused with the spirit of the living God and he could send his people out for his glory among the face of the earth. The The idea is, is that God is redeeming, restoring his creation. This is a big deal in the story because God's home in Jerusalem, it, it's this, this idea that his, his name, his place, this will be where God... God's kingdom is never destroyed. That's why you have what we would call the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven in Revelation. And so the presence of God dwelling among his people forever is represented here in the in the firm foundation, the building of the temple that will ultimately come through Christ, through the Spirit, the people of God, and ultimately rest in the promise of the new Jerusalem. Hey, So final Bible trivia question for you. Chapter 7, verse 21. Oh my. Yeah, I'm going to get you on this one maybe. We have these two huge bronze pillars, right? Right. About 27 feet high, 18 feet in circumference. These Mm -hmm. things are massive. But the names, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm not trying to stump you. I've got no. I've got your rescue line. If Joaquin and Boaz. So what do those mean? I don't know. I have no idea. Let me. Tell I you. really don't. Let me tell you. Yeah, tell All me right. about it. I needed a commentary to help me with this. Joaquin, the name of the South Pillar, means Yahweh establishes. Yahweh being the name of God, right? Mm-hmm. So God, He establishes. Boaz. We've seen that name before, sure. but it's not named after Ruth's Boaz. Boaz, the north pillar, it means in Yahweh is strength. So the two pillars, and they could have either supported some of the structure or just have been freestanding. Right. Or to give testimony that it's the work of God he establishes and it's by his strength that this is done. Yeah, this is good stuff. God never wastes names. Nope. Never wastes them. We shouldn't either. If you need to be renamed, you should do it. But you don't. You have the name of David. Beloved. That's that's a good name. What does Robert mean? It means bright fame. We've talked about this. Bright fame. Bright fame. That's good. But so in in a negative sense, the bright fame could be used for your own own glory. But in God's sense, 
bright fame can be used for the glory of God. And so mm-hmm. redeeming the name to be used for the glory of God. Amen. Bright fame, his glory. See you tomorrow. Bible run.